0: back to Dreams Passion and Your Hong Kong Story, where every time we bring before you amazing stories from this magnificent land, Hong Kong. Today, we have with us a very dynamic finance professional turned entrepreneur. Let's meet Gaurav Grover, founder and CIO, Tricon Asset Management Group. Hello, Gaurav, and welcome to our show.
1: Thanks. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So Gaurav is originally from India, but grew up his formative years in Kuwait. He witnessed the Kuwait's invasion by Iraq. And after things were sorted out in Kuwait, he went back and finished his high school. Gaurav went for his undergraduate University of Pennsylvania and graduated there with two undergrad degrees within three years. And not just graduated, but graduated with Summa Cum Laude, and Dean's Award for Excellence, both in Finance and Mechanical Engineering. Gaurav started his career after undergrad as an investment banker with DLJ and Silver Lake. Then he went to Harvard Business School. Post-business school, Gaurav started investing with Asian equities and moved to Hong Kong. He joined TPG Axon and Moore Capital. Gaurav, in 2018, founded his own firm, Tricone Asset Management. So let's talk to Gaurav and find out what is all the reason behind his dynamic success. So tell us a little bit about your early years of growing up in Kuwait. How was it and how did it shape your journey?
1: So although we're Indian, we've been in Kuwait for multiple generations. Mm-hmm. And Kuwait's been very good to my family and me. Uh, Kuwait's a very unique place. And I think my experiences there really shaped who I am as an individual today, probably for, for two reasons. Uh, First is the diversity of Kuwait. Kuwait's unique in the sense that two-thirds of the country is actually not Kuwaiti. Uh, It's represented by people from all over the world, and at a very young age I learned about different nationalities, ethnicities, uh, which is a wonderful learning experience for me. And second was probably the time I spent with my parents. Uh, Both my parents are doctors. Uh, I watched them work very hard growing up. I also watched them give back to the community with immense amount of dedication and service I just hope that in my career I can be half as successful as they've been in terms of what they've achieved in in their careers.
0: But then, you know, we all know that Kuwait was invaded by Iraq and then a lot of disturbances happened, a lot of families had to move out and, you know, you went back to Kuwait after things settled down and finished your high school. Must have been scary. How did you cope up with all those big things that happened in that country?
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a shock to all of us. I don't think we were expecting an invasion of Kuwait by Iraq. Uh, you know, Iraq used to put troops at its border with Kuwait in a very bullying tactic, blackmail Kuwait. Kuwait would give money to Iraq and Iraq would back down. That was the usual operation of how things worked. 1990 proved to be quite different. Uh, Kuwait, Iraq didn't just want to money. They actually wanted the whole, they didn't want the golden egg. They wanted the whole goose and uh, they invaded and took over. You know, Kuwait, we're talking about a population at that time of about three and a half million people. Iraq's army at that time was one million people. Of course, yeah. So just massive scale difference. So Iraq did invade, uh, take over, and uh, was a very painful and traumatic journey for all of us uh, in Kuwait at that time. Uh, we were fortunate that we were able to, to get out. It was a, a complicated process. Uh, my family and I were, were held by Saddam for about a month in Baghdad. Um, so that was a, a you know, sort of a very unpleasant experience. He's, he's definitely crazy. Um, but I think that that whole journey, I think, probably taught me probably two things. You know, The first would be just resilience because bad things do happen. You just kind of have to keep going through them. And then second is cr- probably creativity because you know, we just had to figure stuff out because the country just stopped functioning like normal. You know, even basic things like, you know, how, you know, we lived in a complex, how, did, how does garbage get collected? You know, how do things get clean? There was no mass, you know, sanitation system. So we would be, you know, a few of us boys, we'd collect the garbage in the building and then we'd, you know, take it to the nearby soccer field and burn it. Um, you know, very basic things uh, that you just kind of had to figure out when, when the country just stopped functioning like normal. But, you know, I think our situation, frankly, ended up being a lot better than many unfortunately lost loved ones uh, and suffered great harm Uh, for us it was a bad experience but one uh, you know glad and glad to have it behind us but an important learning experience in my life
0: so when you went back there um, as a high schooler uh, after all this was behind you so you know was that still frightening or things had settled down and you could focus on applying abroad because you know later on you ended up going to the u.s
1: You know, it was uh, it was a very odd experience, uh, but a positive experience. It was odd because, you know, when we landed, the oil fires were still very much on. And so even at night, uh, the sky was basically orange. Um, and during the day or during the, any time of day when you went out and you, you would basically get a coat of oil on your skin because the oil fires were, you know, that uh, were raging, basically. Um, our school had bullet holes in it. The windows were cracked. Um, you know, we had to be very careful about, you know, when we ran outside, we had to be very careful. We didn't, in, 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 you know, trip on something like an unexplored ordinance or something like that. Uh, and I think it was just, it was a very, it was like going back to any place that had just finished, gone through a massive right. invasion, occupation, and then liberation. Um, but I think people just got on with it. Um, we were all happy to be back in our homes, um, and just try to make our own contribution to bring the city back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to Kuwait's credit, the country and the city bounced back very mm-hmm. fast. Um, you know, the infrastructure was repaired very quickly. Uh, but yeah, those few months were, were odd. I mean, it's hard to imagine now that you know, kids are going back to a school where there's still bullet holes.
0: Yeah, and your uh, family is still back in Kuwait. Still back in Kuwait, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Gaurav, then from there you went to America. You did two undergrad uh, degree within 3 years from UPenn and that even in mechanical engineering and business why did you decide to do a dual degree and then after that you know you went ahead and became an investment banker so uh, what what were some of the things that went on in your mind when you decided to do this dual degree?
1: you know i when i went to upenn i actually thought i would do engineering as a core focus and maybe become a manager at a tech firm, in which I thought maybe finance would would help. Me. Um, frankly, I'm not quite sure. I knew what finance even meant. Uh, you know, growing up in, in Kuwait, which is, you know, uh, a finance hub, um, but you know, once you once I got to UPenn, I found finance very fascinating, and maybe because it it brought together things that I enjoy, but I didn't know I enjoyed till I actually started taking classes. Right, you know, it was about economics, it's about international relations, it's about math and problem solving, and it's about psychology. And I liked how all of those things kind of come together uh, in finance. So I ended up focusing a lot on finance, but I still wanted to do mechanical engineering because it's about problem solving, which I Ching, I like. Um, so you know, came, I came in thinking, to, I want to be an engineer and left saying, okay, I'm going to do investment banking, but still happy I did the engineering degree because I learned a lot from it. Um, but yeah, it was a complete change in what I thought I'd be doing.
0: So in today's time, you know, what you did back then, in today's time, it's really relevant because the tech industry has grown a lot. There's just a lot more you know, job opportunities. And many children, younger kids, are actually debating uh, with the same issue. Looking back, uh, and now that you're a seasoned investor and you recruit a lot of new talents, Do you think that spending a few years um, in in an engineering career and then moving to finance or maybe just staying in an engineering career for a long time and becoming an investor later on can even help someone more if they choose to become an investor?
1: So I think there's no magic formula to being a good investor. And I I think I have a lot to learn uh, still uh, in that area. I think for me, you know, I think if I could have spent more years in psychology I think that would have probably been uh, time well spent. Uh, markets are, you know, there's obviously a lot of numbers that go into finance, but I think a lot of it is actually more than anything else, crowd psychology. And just spending time understanding that uh, is, would, have been, would have been a very, very wise time, time spent.
0: Okay. So Gaurav, after undergrad, you did um, investment banking and then you ended up moving into private equity and then you went to Harvard Business School and you started investing in public equities. What made that switch happen?
1: I, think I, I, I really enjoyed my time at private equity. Uh, I think I worked at some really you know, stellar firms, first at DLJ's private equity group, then at Silver Lake. I was very early, one of the earliest people at Silver Lake when Silver Lake launched and it was a terrific experience. You know, mm-hmm. I think in particular for private equity it requires a deep dive diligence where you really need to tear the company and the industry apart and understand the drivers, the risks, the opportunities. And second, you know, working with management, because once you made that investment in a private equity context, you're basically married right. with the management team. And you spend time with them, understanding their issues, helping them out. And Silver Lake is, is a very hands-on uh, private equity fund, really gets involved with the companies it's invested in to help be a partner and you know, be a value add as they can be. And I really enjoyed that part uh, a lot. Uh, I think the part that I think really kind of made me change into public equities was that you know, in private equity, you are not able to always consummate the transaction, even if you are ready to to do it. You know, maybe the seller changes their mind. Maybe the seller doesn't want to sell at that time. Uh, maybe someone else comes and bids a higher price and you're, you know, you're done. It's either, either you do the deal or you don't do the deal. The good thing about public equities is you get to do the diligence process and we know we're very deep and detailed in the work we do. Um, but once you decide you want to buy a stake, you go to the market and you buy the stake. And if it moves up a little bit of price, maybe you buy a little less, but you can still consummate uh, the transaction. In private equity, sometimes that opportunity set doesn't present itself. Yeah. I do miss the management interaction. I mean, we spend a lot of time with our management teams, understanding them because we are long-term investors, mm-hmm. but kind of really rolling up your sleeves and going behind Uh, you know, the organization to help the company, that part I do, I do miss.
0: Okay. So what brought you to Hong Kong? Because you started investing in Asian public equities. And did you move to Hong Kong with a new job or did you uh, move to Hong Kong and then took up, you know, build this new dimension in your career?
1: So I wanted to join public equities and I also wanted to move to Hong Kong uh, for two reasons, probably one, Asia was booming and I felt like being in Hong Kong gave me the opportunity to benefit from that. Um, And I think I'd sort of decided, like I was saying on private equity, that it was time for me to maybe do something different. Uh, That time didn't look like Silver Lake was going to open a hedge fund or be in Asia and they still haven't done a hedge fund. Um, And so I got a unique opportunity to work with some of my former colleagues uh, at TPG Axon. Uh, they were setting up, uh, you know, a TPG Axon and I got an opportunity to join them early on here in Hong Kong. So it's a great opportunity and moved out here. Uh, on a personal basis, you know, my parents were in Kuwait, were going to retire in India at some point. We have family in India and just felt like if I was here, I would be seeing them a lot more, uh, which has turned out to be the case. Well, at least up to COVID, uh, where uh, my family and I get to see each other a lot more. It's been terrific that my sister's also here now. My wife's sister is also here. And so we managed to create a little bit of a um, you know, family for us in Hong Kong, uh, which is which has been a terrific, uh terrific experience.
0: So Garab, you came to Hong Kong, you joined TPG Axon, and then from there you also worked at Moore Capital. Um and I I noticed and now you have set up your own fund. So there's definitely was the entrepreneurial streak in you. So did you always Think of becoming an entrepreneur growing up?
1: That I think so. Um, I think I enjoy the the, the chaos, the commotion. Um, you know, startups aren't perfect. Um, there's always something that's not working that needs to be fixed. Um, so I think maybe that's where the problem solving, the engineer part of me comes in. Uh, but I do like that. You know, start something from scratch, um, figure it out. Solve the problems as they come up, and then look back and say, "Okay, this was you know something, so something great that was created." I, I think I've also been very for- fortunate that I've had a chance to join some firms right when they were launching, right? whether it's Silver Lake or TPG Axon, and just seeing how the organizations evolve, what yeah. went right, what went wrong, right. um, and take those some of those learnings and put them at, to Cohen. When we launched, yeah. uh, we made our own fair share of mistakes. Uh, but it, I got to say, each of these journeys—you know, whether it's at Silver Lake or, or TPG Jackson or setting up Moore's office here in Asia—have made me more thoughtful, and frankly, more respectful of entrepreneurs um, because it's hard. Um, <laughs> um, but but it is a, it is a wonderful journey, okay. but a turbulent one.
0: Tell us about your fund, your, you know, Tricone Asset Management and and the name sounds really interesting, Tricone, it's a Hindi word I know. What made you choose that name? And also tell us about your investment strategy. I do see that a lot of your former employers have invested in you.
1: So, you know, Tricone, um, we set up Tricone in late 2018. Uh, Most of us here were used to work together at Moore here in Hong Kong. Um, And really, you know, it was sort of a natural evolution to our careers to set up our own own venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Moore was very supportive as we, as we did that. In fact, as you mentioned, they, along with all my other prior employers, are investors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tracone really is, is focused on finding, in our opinion, you know, the 20, 25 best ideas that we can in Asia. So the best way to think about is it's, it's a, you know, concentrated, best ideas, Asia-focused fund.
0: That's like uh, a triangle. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Okay. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, you know, what, why, why tricone is a name. For us, you know, we invest across Asia, but really invest in three geographies in particular, Hong Kong, China, India, and Japan. And from there, we try to find the 20 best ideas we can. Um, you know, what, why tricone? You know, tricone basically means uh, triangle in Hindi, which is also the Greek letter delta, mm-hmm. which means change. So kind of a very complicated way to get to change. And for us, we try to find situations where there's some change happening, where we can get a differentiated view through our diligence, as well as our experience. And so, you know, one of my colleagues likes to say that, you know, we're a startup, but we have a lot of gray hair. And so, as you'll see, the team is not your typical startup team. It's a, there's a lot of gray hair in the office. And so, you know, with that experience that we have, can we, find that differentiated views that enable us to get that very, you know, you have in the market, like, what are you saying that others aren't? What's what's special about your outlook, your view that enables you to make money when others aren't, are not seeing that opportunity? And so, you know, for us, we try to find that situation of change where people are not appreciating either the slope of growth. So say it's a company that's growing and people think it's going to grow like this, and we think it's going to grow like this. Okay, so that's a a question of, you know, slope of the earnings growth. Second would be as people may be thinking, people may be thinking that, hey, the company is not going to grow at all, or maybe it's going to shrink and actually we disagree and we think it's actually going to grow. That's the direction of change. So we very much focus on either magnitude of change or direction of change. And we want to invest behind market leaders, best degree management teams that enable us to, you know, capitalize on the great growth opportunities of, of Asia.
0: Wonderful. Uh, tell us about a challenge that you faced that made you emerge stronger in your entrepreneurial journey. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think probably the biggest challenge in my life was um, as a teenager, you know, the, the 14 years when I, I woke up one day and I lost my vision. Uh, very surprising uh, as, the you know, when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't see very well, mm-hmm. but by the afternoon I lost complete vision. I was a white out um, and sometimes what happens with the body is it it um, senses an infection when there isn't one and it has a very localized outburst of white blood cells. And that white there's so many white blood cells in the eye that you cannot see anything. That's what happened to me. Um, it took me about nine months to a year to regain my vision. I mean, I couldn't even see, you know, fingers in front of my, my face. Um, but it was a, a good learning experience for me, probably for for two reasons. I guess one was, uh, I think there were a lot of very there's a lot of kindness around me that enabled me to get past that. Uh, whether it was obviously the support of my my sister, my my parents, my family, the doctors, uh, even my teachers used to send me. You know, at that time we had cassettes. Uh, people forget that now. They used to record their lectures on cassettes, send them home. I'd listen to it. And then I would, you know, they'd send me tests. I would record my answers on the same cassettes and send them back. Um, and they didn't need to do that. They could have just kind of forgotten about me for a year and that would have been fine. But it was that, I think, kindness and support that I witnessed, which was uh, very valuable. And second was probably resilience. Um, you know, bad things happen. And, uh, you know, if you can just kind of focus on the light at the end of the tunnel, my case, both literally and figuratively, um, it will get better. Uh, and you just kind of have to put your head down and go through that. And there's a quote I love from Winston Churchill, uh, in which he says, you know, when you're going through hell, just keep going.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, I think that's kind of true. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, unfortunately in my life, you only know, we had the great invasion, occupation, and then obviously the, the time spent with Baghdad, and then the eyesight. Um, kind of if you, you always keep those memories in the back of your head. Most of the entrepreneurial challenges seem relatively small. Um, just, you know, and things will get better. Uh, and they do.
0: That's so inspirational to hear, Gaurav. Looking back now, is there anything you would have liked to do differently?
1: In life, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, swell. I try not to look back and say I could have, could have, should have, because those are never really... No, but you have multiple
0: talents. Yeah. So do you see yourself in an alternate career? Yeah, I think
1: so. I don't know. I, I, I love what I'm doing, without a doubt, right? Uh, I think I, I am an entrepreneur. Um, I enjoy it. And right now that entrepreneurial form is taking place in finance investment format. Uh, down the line, could that be a tech entrepreneur? It's possible. Uh, I have dreams of them someday perhaps in academia. Um, so that's possible too. I think... Uh, I don't think the final chapters have been written in my professional journey. I'm not sure what the next chapter is, but I feel there's probably more chapters to come and they'll become clearer as time as time comes on. How
0: has Hong Kong been for your professional and personal journey?
1: I think Hong Kong has been terrific. And I feel very blessed uh, by the places I've had a chance to live in, you know, whether it's Kuwait, India, US. Uh, and for the last 17 years in Hong Kong, I really feel like I've gotten lucky in so many ways to live in so many wonderful places that have shaped who I am. You know, I've been in Hong Kong now about 17 years. Uh, this is home for us. Uh, I met my wife here. Uh, we, have two, we have two kids here. Uh, my sister's here. My wife's sister's here. You know, with lots of friends. Uh, this is home. You know, it's it's a vibrant city. It's uh, wonderful for doing work. It's, you know, The rules of engagement are clear. The ease of doing business is clear. Um, and it's fun. Um, so I feel very, very blessed uh, how Hong Kong treated us.
0: All right. Are you ready for a rapid fire question, let's, Ram? Let's do it. That's getting to know Goran's Hong Kong story in a bit more fun way. Last time you did something for the first time in Hong Kong.
1: Oh, uh, actually a couple of weekends ago, I played bartender at Fox Club.
0: Really? That was kind of
1: fun. Yeah, I don't know why they let me get behind the bar, but they did. So that was fun.
0: And how did you do it?
1: We'll have to ask the people who had the drinks.
0: <laughs> Did you actually mix the drink?
1: I, it was very basic drinks. Okay. Yeah, I'm sort of friends mostly, so okay. it's
0: fine. Yeah. So on a romantic date in Hong Kong, where would you like to go with your wife?
1: Oh, so, you know, Warren Buffett said the most, most important decision you make in your life is who you marry. And I think that's exactly right. And I think if that's one thing I've done very, very well. I married way above my station in life. Uh, my wife's wonderful and has really been an inspiration to me in so many ways. Uh, so I look very much look forward to our date nights, but we do have a protocol involved in them, which is that we take turns in picking the restaurant. One okay. time I pick, one time she picks, and the place has to be unique. Uh, and ideally, neither of us has been there before. At least one of us hasn't been there before. And it doesn't have to be the fanciest meal. It just has to be something different. Um, you know, something that is kind of caters to our curiosities in terms of food, in terms of ambiance, or maybe method of preparation. Um, and then we go and we have usually a very good time. So I look forward to our date nights. But it's got to be somewhere. Uh, we try to make it somewhere unique. Uh, that both uh, is is and just ends up being a very fun night.
0: How wonderful. And your favorite casual and formal dining place in Hong Kong?
1: So I love fusion food. Mm-hmm. And I love pizza. Um, so casual probably be Chino. Pizza, motorino. You know, Keep it simple but good. Uh, That's... And formal dining is probably Japanese at Masa.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but the quality of the food and services is, is impeccable. Okay. So if you haven't been, highly recommend it.
0: Okay. Life is fun in Hong Kong because?
1: Well, it's a city that never sleeps. Um, it's almost always sunny. There's always something going on. Uh, you never feel like, oh, uh, I don't know what to do. Okay. You know, either you're busy with work or you're busy with family, friends and lot to do. You know, we haven't traveled now for geez, over a year and I frankly feel like it's been... I mean, I would love to travel and especially go see family, but it's been okay. Um, you know, there's a lot to do out here that you don't get, don't get bored.
0: Okay, so Gora, what are you most proud of as a Hong Konger?
1: I think this is a city that shows incredible resilience. Um, you know, people here just kind of get on with it and find solutions to, to problems. Um, I, I think I, I appreciate that and just the, the culture uh, of, the, of the place. Um, it's an remarkably efficient city. Um, and just sort of in terms of trying to get things done on a personal or professional basis. And then probably the diversity. And, and I think back in my life, I feel like I've been in cities that really are like that. Uh, you know, I, I started my journey in Kuwait, um, then whether I was in the East Coast or West Coast in the US, and now in Hong Kong. Um, these are all just places that have immense diversity of cultures, and I think that appeals to me as a person, um, just to be around people from all different walks of life. Okay,
0: what would you tell the global business leaders and policymakers? Why should they invest with Hong Kong?
1: Oh, that's easy. Uh, yeah, this is this is one of the hubs of Asia, mm-hmm. and I don't see that changing in the near future, uh, or the medium future. I just don't. See, you know, I think this is this is always going to be one of the hubs, and. Uh, you know, it's a place where you can easily do business. Um, the rules of engagement are here are very clear um, with someone, which all of us need to happen. And, you know, it's a place where I think there's a lot of uh, creativity, a um, lot of resilience. And you can come here and set up your business the way you want to and, and do it. Um, It's also, well, pre-COVID anyways, it's a very easy place to kind of set up and travel. You know, if you want to go reinvest reinvest across the region, most areas, most countries are a short flight away. Um, So in the hub, it's a natural hub. So, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful place to do business and a wonderful place to live.
0: How would you invite the 7 plus billion people of the world? Why should they come and visit you in Hong Kong?
1: You know, it's, it's, you got to come here to really see what a miracle this place is, right? There's not a lot of resources. Um, it's just really is creativity, rule of law, resilience that make Hong Kong what it is. Um, so come here, spend some time, um, see how the city what functions, how, how much energy there is here. And you know, also have a great time. You know, the nightlife here is, is a lot of fun. The days, you know, whether it's you go on a boat or you go to one of the islands or there's, you know, hundreds of hundred plus trails in Hong Kong, um, which make it, you know, you'll have a wonderful day and a wonderful evening. So I highly recommend for people to come and spend some time here and see for themselves.
0: Thank you so much, Cora, for coming to our show.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Stay tuned for our next episode on Dreams, Passion and Your Hong Kong Story, where we shall bring you yet another fascinating story from this amazing land, Hong Kong. Thank you